When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, and welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. We got to repeat ourselves. Yeah, we just lost it. Yeah, it's part two. Yeah, everybody, part it's part two. <laughs> no, we start off. The microphone's <laughs> working. The microphone's not working. We're buying a new mic. We've gone through how many the microphones? New mics over here. Let me take three. And welcome back, everybody. Just so they know what I got to go through. Just so you understand. You can't use this. That you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great From the moment you're a small bambino You eat pizza, you drink vino Then they make you roly-poly you get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Italian American Podcast. I'm your host, John Viola, here with my partner in crime, Pat O'Boyle. It is the end of August, and boy, oh boy, are things shaking up in Italy. Today we come to you with shocking news. The government of the Italian Republic is on the brink of collapse. It's not the first time. It probably won't be the last time. Wow. Yeah. It's, Another government fell? Yeah, I know. Could it, it be Italy? It makes sense to me. Since the system started in 1946, they have gone through definitely more than one a year, I, I would imagine. I, I don't know the exact number. Yeah, but you know what? Now. It wasn't that bad lately, but back in like the 70s and oh, 80s, it was like every six months. But to their credit, it was all the same people. They were just reshuffling. Yeah, who sure. Was, I mean, basically the same party for 50 years. Italy and democracy. It's a, it's a roller coaster. There's a series. That's the, that's the title of the series. A country that was never meant to rule itself. <laughs> that's probably true. But that's why I wanted to do this today, because I thought to myself, you know, it's obviously big news, right? International news, the Italian government on the brink of collapse, and I thought... What portion of our audience is probably looking at the news and saying, "What's going on here?" Like, you know, who? who yeah, but I, I think we all stand in that boat. Yeah. Can you? For me, I'm good. You figured it out because when we were discussing having this show, I, was like, I, I, I've have no, been, I, I've been, I have no competency in this whatsoever. I've been paid for this for a while, so I'm a little bit better. And, and frankly, I, I may get some stuff wrong because it is a soap opera of all soap operas. Why don't we start our own time political party? I mean, it doesn't seem like I mean, the hardest thing has. in the world to do. Everybody else has got one. Every time they get upset, they start a new one. So. What's a macaroon? <laughs> the macaroni party? Hey, What's macaroni the party? A macaroni in every plate? <laughs> That's... That's no, I know what it would be in Italy. The semolina has to be Italian production. Yeah, it could be. That's on all the bags of macaroni yeah. now. Prodotto no, no foreign Manitoba flour, no, no murder not. flour, semolina, fatto nidale. That's a whole, that's a whole The platform. most important issue. I like a macaroni in every plate. That's pretty funny. That's a t-shirt. 
What would, they, what would the end one be? A bowl of dish macaroni, big yeah. bowl of macaroni. Absolutely. Now I know that the pasta sauce people, because they've been like dormant, are all going to get excited about this. Because <laughs> you can't say macaroni now; it's pasta. No, it's macaroni. Yeah, but that's going to be without well, no, sauce. That's sauce be the and gravy is the debate they have. Macaroni. No, to me, it's now. It's yeah, our responsibility so. to say macaroni. But not you can pasta. get a T-shirt out of this. Yeah, that's right. Is what was, what's Rosella? Is Rosella pasta first? She must be. I don't think she says pasta. I think she's. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. She, she I don't is. know. She's not here today, but she's fancy. Know. Yeah, macaroni versus pasta. That's the next that question. Might have been the, is that, should, we, should that be the follow-up? Yeah, we do need to follow I got up. a lot of heat. Do they realize that? People got all upset about oh, the Oh, the macaroni. sauce and gravy is always a mess. That's yeah, but I got beat up for that. I love, Like, me and Rosella are tight. Yeah, I know. I know. And it just was a good thing. You can have these conversations. But the macaroni, to me, I, is a, it should not be questioned. It should be macaroni. I, I agree. I Sometimes I meet people and I say macaroni. I feel like I'm in like a, the French resistance. They're like, hey, I heard you but say that macaroni. That separates yes. us from yeah, them. Yeah, that's what makes us different. That's what makes us the tribe. Yeah, because we were eating macaroni before they knew what pasta Absolutely was. Absolutely right. I totally then all of a sudden, 1980, they found, yeah. when they graduated from the Ronzoni box, the that's stuff right. they found. <laughs> that's right. Everybody's got all kinds of fancy And it became stuff. pasta salad. Yeah. Macaroni salad for food. I know. But they still say macaroni and cheese, though. Are we reduced to macaroni and cheese the only use for the word? The Neapolitan. I'll never give in. No, I'm with you. I'll be macaroni until I die. I'll take a little. Somebody just recently told me how great I was for saying that. I felt like I had been like in the. Yeah, but it's like it's like oh my, you say great. That's like my grandmother's. It's like oh yeah, plastic on your furniture. How quaint. That one I'll hold on to though. But that's our new party then. That'll be the macaroni. We're gonna go back. But this is enjoyable, and now we're gonna go to an Italian political conversation. I know, which is never easy. But I thought to myself, you know, we should we should share what we know, what what we've been able to. Decipher in this. Uh, Can I just say this? And I'll push it up on YouTube. Yeah. You know the story about Aquinas when he was walking on the beach? No. Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, who preached for 40 days in Neapolitan. Wow. He was a he would have been a citizen of the Kingdom of Two Sicilies had they existed. Thomas Aquinas was walking along the beach, the greatest theologian probably of all time. Definitely the greatest Western Christian theologian. With all due respect to these because they got some heavy hitters themselves. <laughs> um, he's walking along a beach and he's trying to figure He's like, I can't figure out this Trinity guy. I can't figure out this trinity. He sees a little boy taking water and pouring water in a in a, a hole, you know, like a sand hole on the yeah. beach. And the more water he pours in, the water disappears. And he runs back to the ocean, gets another bucket of water, goes up into the hole, pours the water in the, the hole of sand. The water passes out again. And they say, ha, 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 like you silly little boy. Don't you realize you're never going to fill that hole up with water? He goes, I'll fill this hole up with water before you figure out the trinity. That was an angel. That's amazing. And I want to say that you have a better chance of filling a sand pit <laughs> with, with water, water That's before true. you ever understand. This is true. Italian politics. There's nothing we're going to do in an hour plus that's going to. This is. I wouldn't even call this a prime. What I hope comes out of this is our forza macaroni. Yeah, that's true. The right. Italian macaroni party and our platforms would be farina fatta in Italia, farina prodotta in Italia. <laughs> any of our uh, listeners out there in Italy want to join up to the party now? It's it, it could be an election anytime. So. If you haven't tuned off so far, you're a member of the tribe. That's true. You're in. You're in very you're good. You're Italian. Everybody else would have said this is ridiculous and tuned off. But if you're still listening, if you're listening now, you're you're uh, you're really dedicated. So the topic that we're covering today is the current crisis in the Italian government. So. That has changed minute to minute. So from the last time we turned the microphone on to now, so? oh my gosh, it's unbelievable! I, what I, happened I, now? I pull, well, let's, I really don't know. Let's go. But back. I'm not playing you. Like this is John's forte because this is what I, I, I always take democracy in Italy as like kind of mutually joke. exclusive content. <laughs> it's probably fair. So I don't follow Italian politics with the devotion. Yeah, I have a lot of devotion. I, I, I mean, on its own, it's entertaining. Obviously, uh, for those of you who are unaware. 
this week, the Prime Minister of Italy on August 20th stepped down. Uh, a crisis that was kind of created by part of the ruling coalition. And I thought to myself, every time one of these elections comes up, people ask me, what's going on? And I thought, well, let's take the platform of the podcast and share with our audience out there and share with those who might uh, meet us for the first time a little rundown on what is going on with the Italian government because, frankly, it's usually interesting when the government falls in the internal politics, but right now it's particularly interesting because the government that's fallen, what's referred to in Italy as the government for change or the coalition for change, this is the first populist government in modern Europe, and uh, it just fell after 14 months. So, But can I just take... I, I take umbrage with them. I mean, how is populism exclusive from democracy in this sense? Before I know there's somebody freaking out right yeah. now, and we're going to get 18 emails, so please put the email. <laughs> number one, I don't see the emails. <laughs> so whenever you write bad things about me, they censor it, so I never see it. But how would you define populism? Because populism to me has... The, the current use of the word populism is, okay, well, there's a majority of people who feel X, Y, and Z. But because ideologically they don't agree with us, then it's a, it's like a, a malfitted democracy. Yeah, right? that's quite fair. I, I mean, I don't have the technical political science definition, but if you ask me, I think the way populism, the term populism is used today is to basically say this is a government that was elected by appealing to the sort of lower common denominator. Yeah, but think about, I mean, like, and this is my argument why I think Italy falls into this. And I go, Italy has been in perpetual crisis since they adopted the euro. Yeah. Right? It probably wasn't really well thought out. Yeah. Probably. Right? They were not in a position the same way as Greece. Italy has has Italy has had really not healthy growth rates since they adopted the, the euro because yeah. the way they were doing business in the euro kind of uh, juxtaposed. Now, if you argue that Italy should have adopted the euro, you can't argue that Italy was ready for the euro. They're, they're two separate arguments, yeah. right? So Italy has had... For the last, at least the last 10 years, they've never really gotten out of the, the 2008 meltdown crisis. No. crisis. No. I mean, if there was growth, it was really, really demanding. You have staggering youth unemployment. Yeah. You have a crippled economy. Yeah. You have a nation whose foundation is on small family businesses. Like, 70, was it 75% of Italian businesses the, are under uh, 35 yeah. employees? That's also partially because of the difficulty that comes with growing past that. Sure, it's, you it's, can't the, fire land, it's the land of yes, bureaucracy. It's the labor laws. But I'm saying is, you take that, okay, you take that Italy's an aging country, young people are leaving in droves. Yeah. If you want to find young Italians, they're in London, yeah. right? They're leaving in droves because they don't see any future for themselves in Italy, especially in the south of Italy economically. You're a country of old people. Really, it's becoming like a senior citizen's home in the south. Absolutely. That's a bit of a, they need yeah. babies. You have... I'll call it the migrant crisis yep. that's going on, yeah. right? Which is which is which is bad for everybody involved, yep. right? You have Italians, the Italians in the street saying, "My kids in London, they can't come home for economic reasons. The economy's a mess." Um, we have all kinds of people coming in. Yeah. How are we going to support them economically? How's that going to affect Italy culturally? Yeah. Because let's be honest, as Americans, we have a state that's much more heterogeneous. Yeah. Italy's homogenous, right? So a lot of European countries don't have the diversity. Maybe Austro-Hungarians did, but Italy didn't. Yeah. Um, and you have all that coming in, and I think people in Italy feel like no one's listening. So when the last election came, they walked away, in my opinion, you're the expert, John, I'm not, from the two traditional parties. So they're like, they're not listening. Yeah. And it almost redefined the, the two Sicilies, right? Because the did. two Sicilies voted yeah. five-star. Yeah, you're right. Everything else voted for the Everything else basically voted for the Lega. Voted for Lega, except for the part of Lazio that belongs to Campania, which was taken from Camara, the sort of closing <laughs> on there, right. which is another story for another day. Voted for Lega. 
And the one thing you could say that came out of it were people voted for alternative parties because they felt the traditional parties weren't working or weren't taking care of them. And friends I have in Italy who were very diehard either, you know, uh, Christian Democrats or what became the Partito Democratico, they voted Five Star and they voted Lega because they're like, I feel something has to change. Yeah. So I just feel that the word populist just is a trigger word, which I think that people who aren't affected, right? Because there's a, there's a class in Italy who will always be on the top of the ladder yeah, economically. Right. No place has a cemented upper class the way Italy does. Yeah. I mean, they did a study, I think it was in Veneto. And all the richest families in Veneto, they were the richest families like in the 14th century. Right? Yeah. It's a country where money and class and, and opportunism move. They can brand things that way, but are they really being attentive to the ground game? Because the one thing I think, if, if you talk about the American scenario, no matter where you fall on the left to the right, people are branded the Trump presidency populist, right? They use the populist thing. But imagine if you had, uh, Hillary Clinton was an establishment candidate. Imagine if you had Bernie Sanders. I mean, I guess he was an establishment candidate still, but he was more the fringe of the Democratic yeah. Party. Italy basically had an election where the two parties that came out, which were the, the five-star, which would have been left to center, and the Lega, which is definitely right of center, both what would be the U.S. equivalent of Democrats and Republicans voted for... Um, alternatives. Alternatives. So, like, they're, they're, they're Democrat. They had, like, the Trump equivalent of a Democrat. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically against, right. against Salvini, who was, who was I guess, you, you, you would position as more of a populist on the right. Yeah, I, th- I mean, the term populist is so... So new, so nascent. I really oftentimes think to myself, it's kind of hard to use the term. But but by the generally accepted idea that a populist is a is an alternative, non traditional party outside of the sort of regular left right, and I think that that's a big part of it because you know Salvini, and we're going to get into this, so I'm going to introduce these characters. If you don't know them, introduce their parties a little bit on what they stand for. But to give you an overview. You know, if you look now at Salvini and the Lega, it, it's the roots of that party, as we'll discuss, they were actually kind of left of center in terms of some of their fiscal policy, but they've gone right in their positions. So they're not necessarily, even though now, for all intents and purposes, a right-wing party, it's not seen as rightist. That's party. a great point. Yeah. Because and, the, think, and, the, and, right. the, and the Five Star, too. Five Star is not necessarily left of center. It, 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 they're protest parties that came on certain issues. And they didn't sit on the left right spectrum. So I think populist is is probably best defined for I our hate use. that term. I know. It's it's it, it cheapens it really cheapens the actual democratic process. Can I tell you why I hate that term? Because I was president of my law school, my law school class has been student bar association, and a professor who does not deign to be named in this podcast when I won because I was not the anointed candidate of the administration. Refer to me as a populist. First time I learned <laughs> that's the term, amazing. It's like, that's oh, he amazing. won because that that's peasant. Fantastic. He he was like the of the. So of you the, were the first populist. He called me a pop. He really didn't like me. Um, there was a lot of issues, and I I was the guy who was I think in touch with the issues, and I think that night I had a good relationship with a lot of people, and that's why I won by a staggering number. But that's another story for another day. And he was like, okay, I'm coming to the table representing students who have real issues and you don't agree with me, so I'm a populist. I think you probably, so, that's probably a great explanation. Has poisoned, Yeah, I hate the term, because it, it was used derogatorily it, toward me. I think it's always used derogatorily. I think it's used derogatorily and he, today. And he was like a money kind of, yeah. that makes kind of sense. like well-to-do, um, and I was the peasant, because they had visioned someone getting it who was more in their mold. 
and I was too rough around the edges for him. So. This sounds about right. I mean, yeah. this sounds like, pretty oh, equivalent to where we are today. The blue-collar kid won. That's because he's just an ignorant populist. He came and out he'll nowhere. pass. Yeah, and he's, 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 I know he had said to people, you know, like, just wait and they'll be gone in a year. <laughs> this is the conversation all of Italy and the watching world is having today because, you know, I want to introduce the Italian political system in a very brief way so people understand what we're talking about here. But, you know, right now we're sitting in, an, in Italy where the government has resigned, the prime minister has resigned, uh, there's a fractured coalition fighting for who comes out next. And the question is, do the other parties in Parliament, do some combination get together and form a new government? Do they go to a snap election? We can end up with a Parliament that's that that's composed of completely different parties that were in opposition yesterday, could be partners in a I think it's so today. different from the American system because, so you know, it's like what's happening in the UK and Boris Johnson yeah. succeeding Theresa May. The parliamentary tradition, you can really have a government that you never voted for. You never voted for. Or a prime minister you never voted for. It is amazing. For. You think about it. I mean, well, let me explain to everybody where, where this comes from. So let me give you a, a, a really brief overview of the Italian Republic and its system because it is fascinating and it's good for everybody to know out there, particularly we Italian-Americans. So before we get into the particulars of where we are now, let me just take a moment to introduce you to some of the players just so you have a, a, a sense of who we're talking about as we talk. And we'll, we'll talk more about them as they come up in this story. Uh, first and foremost, you have Silvio Berlusconi, the media magnate, uh, the owner of the Mediaset at that at that time, the owner of Mediaset, the owner of um, AC Milan, the owner of substantial holdings throughout Italy, who kind of comes into the political scene at the end of the fall of the First Republic and, and is basically the definitional figure of the Second Italian Republic up for the first twenty years, either as the prime minister or in opposition, and of course he gets taken down by his. Uh, less than discreet behavior when it comes to young women and the fact that his economic policies essentially left Italy relatively stagnant, or at least that's the popular claim. You have Matteo Renzi, the former mayor of Florence, young, energetic, social media savvy, sort of seen as the Italian Obama, very, very much uh, a political celebrity. Very Tuscan. Very Tuscan, yes, very Tuscan. Did a good job in Florence, won a lot of accolades, orchestrated a little bit of a coup within the Democratic Party, and eventually became prime minister without really having an election, actually. He sort of took over power while his party was in office. You're going to meet Matteo Salvini, who is currently the, the leader of the Lega Party, which traditionally was called the Lega Nord. It also sort of grew out of the end of the First Republic, and it was a northern separatist party. Um, it's now it's stunning, and to think that if you thought of when Lagos started off, no one ever thought it would be where it is. No, they no, were they were crazy. They, they had their own flag, their own anthem. They wanted a new Padania. country called Padania, Padania in the north. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about Luigi Di Maio, who is the head of the Five Star Movement, which is a, a sort of very unique non-party movement that has functioned, particularly recently as a political party, but without a central platform that can be defined as left or right. It was anti-establishment, originally was anti-corruption. It was started by the comedian Beppe Grillo with all these rallies around Italy, and it grew into this online elected... They curated their own holiday. They did? Yeah, Bafangulo Day. They did, that's right. I forgot they did. There was I mean, I'm buff- sorry, we have to beat no, yeah, the kids no, in the no, car, but 
they came up with a. It started as a buff. I forgot it started as a buff on Google movement. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I ran into Only one in of those Italy. rallies by accident in Naples when I was young. I didn't one, know what that one was guy doing. wants to start a country called Padania. The, <laughs> the other one starts a holiday going around and going to call Buff on Google. That is pretty so. sad, isn't it? There's also Giuseppe Conti, who's a lawyer that eventually becomes, through the story we're going to tell, uh, the Prime Minister of Italy and was up until a few days ago. And we're going to talk a little bit about Nicola Zingaretti, who's now the head of PD. And eventually you'll find out why Renzi is no longer the head. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to a little bit about the system. So people may not be aware, but up until 1946, Italy was a bicameral monarchy under the House of Savoy. It had been unified in the 1860s. We've all talked about that quite a bit. And basically what was done was the 1848 Constitution of the House of Savoy up in Piedmont and Sardinia was expanded and blanketed the rest of the peninsula. So the, the, the Piemontese constitution was applied to everybody, and it was used to govern Italy uh, up until the rise of fascism when the system was changed many, many times by Mussolini and his party. So at the end of the war, 1946, the first uh, election to be held was a referendum, which asked one question, should Italy continue as a republic or as a monarchy? The first election in which women were allowed to vote in, uh, in Italy. And by a slim... Uh, margin that some people question today, the system of republic was chosen. And again, interestingly enough, because we're going to talk about the north-south split here in the last election in Italy, the south voted primarily for the monarchy, even though it was the Savoy monarchy. Overwhelmingly. Yeah, yeah. Sessa Cilento was like 93 yeah. point And the north voted change. for the republic. Yeah. Yeah. And so the republic was born, uh, there were constituent elections, 1948 uh, was really the beginning of the republic. And it was a, uh, a coalition-based system. And essentially, what ended up happening was the Christian Democratic Party represented the center to right, and the socialists and communists, because communism was, uh, was quite large in Italy. Um, as a matter of fact, in that 1948 election, there were serious concerns here in the U.S. that the Communist Party might win, and it would become the first democratically elected communist state in Western, and the only one in Western Europe. And uh, Though Italian communists weren't real communists. That's true. They had their own Euro-communism. You know what? There's so much of in the rumor mill that the U.S. went in and fixed that 1948 election. Oh, it's known. It's, 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 uh, it's out there on the record. I mean, we, we went in very active with the CIA. It was one of their first major operations in sort of uh, regime, I always say change, regime design. And, of course, here in the U.S., the Italian-American community was incredibly active um, advocating for the Christian Democrats. I mean, I own a ton of posters and postcards and paraphernalia, letters that were sent to Italy, you know, stock letters. The Il Progresso would, would print out and you'd write to your cousin, you know, to your cousin. Il, Il Progresso was the Italian daily. Thank you, yes, the Italian daily, daily New York. Newspaper daily out, daily. and all over the country. Which is today a medicology-based, yes, more or less. it is. It is. But, so Italy su- survives. Do you want a little antidote? Sure. For the old sod? Yeah, <laughs> Um, Eamon de Valera was the, was the Taoiseach, was basically the Irish Prime Minister when the 1948 election was going on in Italy. And he sent word to Pius XII and said, if, if Italy goes communist, you have a safe place to come in Ireland. Imagine that. And Pius XII responded, ah, oh, where else would I go but Ireland? <laughs> Could you imagine the Vatican in Ireland? Now, Ireland and, Ireland and Catholicism are in a very different Nowadays, footing yeah. today, but that he, just goes to show you. He'd be packing off for Rome again. Uh, <laughs> So the, so the 48 election happens and the Christian Democratic Party is elected. And essentially, really, for about 20 years, the Christian Democrats stayed in power. 
governments came and went, but it was essentially coalitions composed of the same uh, Christian Democratic politicians, center-right, very pro-American, part of NATO, part of what became the European Union, uh, European Economic Community. And later on, in, into the 70s and 80s, you started to see the entry of the socialists and, event, and, and even some communists into coalitions. It was a very... Um, How many parties did they have? They, uh, many, 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 like many 64 at one yeah. part? Like, before the big shakedown when it went to Forza Italia and yeah. PD and then and they, when they coalesced into yeah. two parties with the American yeah. system. They had like 64 parties? Yeah. Then, I mean, you had... But essentially, the prime movers and shakers were the Christian Democrats on the right, the communists and the socialists on the left, and then you had... The Monarchist Party, which was fringe, and you had the post-fascist MSI, Movimento Sociale Italiano, which was made up of what would be called sort of non-apologetic fascists. They just took the word fascist. Well, all, all, all the family. Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was a considerable size in the beginning. Was that Cicciolina? What was the daughter? No, that's the Alessandra. Daughter. Alessandra, yeah. right? No, yeah. Cicciolina was the other one. She was Hungarian uh, adult film star who, I'm sorry. who ran for parliament and won. Um, Wasn't she a fascist? No, no, the do- granddaughter was. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and still is. I had a friend who had a big crush on Sicilia <laughs> growing up. That's why I remember. That's how you know you're really tied to Italy. Yeah, that's right. So that system of Italian government, what's, what's known as the First Republic, lasted until uh, massive scandals broke out in the early 90s. And in about 1992, uh, this crisis called Tangentopoli, the, the idea of sort of the city of tangents, everybody was on the take, everything was on recommendations, no surprise. But eventually the government system itself fell. Now you're trying to tell me that ended in Italy? No, no, I'm just saying that the, what they call the First Republic ended in, in, a, in an operation called Mani Politi, clean hands, uh, basically reforming I mean, the government like, system. That's such a, I mean, I can never imagine a modern Italy depending on who you know. No, that, that, that's sure. not much change. No. But in both the First and the Second Republic, you'd have a prime minister who was uh, the president of the Council of Ministers, so the party that gets the most votes builds a cabinet, or if it doesn't have the most votes, doesn't have a plurality, it joins into coalition with other smaller parties, forms a government, makes an agreement, forms a platform, goes to the figurehead president of the Italian Republic, who essentially replaced the king with many of the same responsibilities and powers, and forms a government, and the president approves, and the president has the right to dissolve, and if the parties in the coalition can't agree, they can dissolve the government, and this is kind of where we are today. Uh, 1992, shakes everything up, the Christian Democratic Party, the Communist Party, the Socialists, they all kind of close. And essentially in 92, you have the rise of Silvio Berlusconi. And you want to talk about populism, he's probably the grandfather of all of this because he was a non-politician, media magnate, very much yeah, but then in I go, the streets. But, but let me go back and why I hate this term populism. Silvio Berlusconi played well on television. Sure. Right. Um, whether you liked him or you hated him, because he was a media guy, right? Didn't he own the largest cable? Yeah. Said. So my argument is he comported himself in what today is classically known as populism. Mm-hmm. But he was not a populist because he was very much a guy of the establishment. I mean, he was yeah. in all the right circles. Sure. He was, he was I mean... As yeah. much as the current president of the United States is, yes. right? So you could say, if you're very politically charged in America, calm down. This is an Italian over the cup of coffee conversation. So wherever you stand on the left or right in the U.S. or in the middle, you don't care. Just, I just think, open your mind to this in the sense that take the current president. They can argue that he appeals to what they have defined as populist, which I hate as a concept, on the left or on the right. But he was, he was, a, he was a household name. Yeah. From, you know, he was a reality television star. 
Yeah, right? But, but, but you gotta keep in mind too, I believe, when you're talking about the political system, they're not worried about whether these candidates are familiar with or ingrained with the highest social class or they're familiar to the people. It's all about do you belong to their system. And that's... Sure, know, 100%. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is that, and I agree 100%, but Silvio Berlusconi and Donald Trump were part of the socialists. They were the, the top feeders on yes. the, in the social world. Matteo Salvini was not. Yeah. So, so what I'm trying to say is, to me, you have to see that as a different category. Yeah, fair enough. Than the other two, because the other two were just kind of had a built-in system. Yes, they, they had their. It's absolutely right. I mean, as much as the president relied on social media, which, uh, you know, they always say like, FDR was the first president to understand how to exploit radio, and Kennedy was the first candidate to learn how to to understand how to exploit TV. And clearly, Trump was the first to understand social media on a different level, on, on a government. Well, I mean, it goes back to brands, yeah. right? In the U.S., we have political brands now. We have the Clinton brand. We have the Bush yeah. brand. Like, people from the same uh, families that have name recognition that run. And and in a, in a world that's so media-driven, media the last names help. It would be yeah. the Clinton, you know, yeah. the Clinton last name Your and brand. the Bush last yeah, name sure. is a brand. Brand recognizable. Right, so I'm saying it's not like Salvini had a brand. No, not really, no. I mean, and, and Berlusconi did. And Berlusconi becomes prime minister. His Forza Italia party adopts the uh, cheer of the Italian national soccer team. Uh, he lasts for a little while, falls out again. The left rises. You have the Prodi years. But then really Berlusconi comes back uh, on and off, either as the prime minister or the leader of the opposition. Essentially, if you think about it, Berlusconi was in power for in and out of power for 20 years. I mean, he defined the political system. It was sort of Berlusconi versus the other side. And uh, he, he you know, in Italy, there's a state-run media, the Rai, and up until not that long ago, there was really very few alternatives. So Mediaset was one of the first national alternatives to break the state monopoly. So he controlled both messaging systems in terms of popular media. So he was pervasive in the psychology of Italy. And... Uh, his downfall was his personal behavior. I mean, he made a lot of gaffes. He said a lot of things that made people. Uh, but a lot of those gaffes were, were appealing in Italy. That's also true to, yeah. to his supporters. Yeah. But he the really, same way with the current president, there's a lot of things that certain yeah, people in media say, okay, the, you know, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But that appealed to the people who support him. Absolutely, Berlusconi supporters in his prime were rabid, totally devoted, and he really seemed tied to his base in a, in a very peculiar way for them, and we see it here in the United States now with the president. Um, but Berlusconi's personal behaviors, particularly his behaviors around women, really were the cause of his downfall. Uh, that and the fact that for so many years in power, Italy continued to decline economically and, and, and failed to keep up with their, her European partners in the EU. So it brings us to the end of the Berlusconi era and the rise of Matteo Renzi. So Matteo Renzi, the former mayor of Florence, represents the largest of the left-wing parties that, that was born out of the merger of multiple smaller parties in an attempt to create a unified front to combat Berlusconi's right-wing Sure, yeah, I think you should go in on that because... Yeah, yeah. and so, so it becomes the Partito Democratico, which is the Democratic Party, just like in the United States here, represents the left wing of the Italian uh, political spectrum. And the Democrats have a crisis of leadership. At that point, 
when Matteo Renzi becomes the head of the party, he leads a sort of internal party coup to have himself uh, made the head of the party, replacing what was left of the original post-communist parties. And uh, he, he sort of represented a more moderate center-left that was young and vibrant, and many people compared him to the, the sort of saw him as the Italian Obama. But let me just say, it's such Renzi... One thing I think is such a sea, sea change in Italy because one thing is that the merging of the left and right into Italy into basically two parties, the PD and um, I guess you'd say Forza Italia on the right. Am I correct? Yeah, it became Popolo della Libertà, became the people right. of freedom. But yes, essentially it's Forza Italia and it's Forza Italia again today. Um, probably was one of the times in Italy actually made a change that functioned Yes, in a governmental sense. Like yes. We have all these little parties, we get nothing done. And I think a lot of the fact that we don't have constantly new elections every nine months have to do that. But then again, I'm not the expert in this. You are. But Renzi really was the game changer because he was young. I mean, Italy was a country of old and older when it yeah. came to power. Because Italians went to the grave holding on to power. Yes. There, and, was, a, it was, a, there was a serious geritocracy to the Italian political system. You were there. You had your place. Very, very difficult for young people and women and minorities. I mean, it was it was basically it was a really ruling yes, class on the left and the right. All absolutely. Italian men, yeah. On both and then sides. all of a sudden, now Renzi comes along and and he's young. Yeah. And what your what your take is on Matteo Renzi? Either way, it was it gave a different face to Italy. I think it really changed Italy because I think if you take if you see Salvini, who's young now, right, and you take Renzi, and the amount of time that they've been in, at the helm. To younger people, maybe younger listeners, they don't have the impression of the Craxi, the Andriotti, the guys who are always in a, a beautiful double-breasted Italian yes. custom-made suit. Yeah. You know, that was the image of Italian leadership in the eighties. Yeah, ancient in every sense of the word, sartorially, intellectually, yes. <laughs> yes. politically. But again, there, there was a certain. It's a stability. Big, It's like you know, you never thought you'd see Italians in shorts. Yeah, Italian men, and I know. now they wear it's shorts. True. It's true. Like it's no tomorrow. When I was a kid, and I always wanted to wear pants in Italy. Every, every kick it was if I wanted to. Be Everybody wore. I mean, wearing shorts in Italy was considered like the lowest yes. rung of yeah. humanity. Yeah. And now it's it's like a young Italian. I imagine if you took a young Italian today and said to them, you know, there was a time in this country that a man in shorts was considered the lowest class of American society. You know, one of those like American, the wacky Americans, and. Um, I think in the same sense, there's there's going to be a whole generation of kids who don't have that concept of the ancient Italian holding on to power into the grave. Yeah, I agree with you. That's yeah. a big sea change. It's Renzi was a big, big sea change world. in that. No, I think you're right. I think Renzi was absolutely a sea change that redefined the idea of a politician. I mean, the, the, you could never picture any of these old Italian politicians out there on social media like him, out there, selfies, this. I mean, he was just a, you know, in a button-down shirt, the first top two buttons open, slacks, no socks. I mean, this was this is not the buttoned-up uh, Italian political class. So Renzi comes on the scene on a national scale after the Berlusconi government falls and Mario Monti, the professor, leads a uh, an, an emergency national government, a, a technocratic government. Italy is in a very, very bad way economically. There's a lot of instability uh, going through the country in the fallout from the end of the Berlusconi era because he was so definitional to the idea of the, the, the whole democratic system, essentially. And eventually, through the political machinations within his own party, Renzi becomes the prime minister. And, and to his credit, 
you, you do start to see things changing. I mean, you, you do start to see a little bit of numbers ticking up, some very, very difficult decisions to be made. But one of the most difficult issues was the idea of federalism. Uh, and this is a political concept that was injected into the Italian system by the Lega Nord. Now, as I mentioned before, the Lega is born in an era of complete upheaval in the Italian system. And you have the combination of a couple of regionalist parties in Lombardia and the Veneto and Piedmont into what's called the Lega Nord. And the Lega Nord's whole platform is Rome is sucking dry the wealthy north. It's using money on wasteful projects in Rome and in the south. And the rich north deserves to be its own country. And they're going to split off into a nation called Padania. Uh, they go back into medieval Italian history and all these heroes of the north that resisted the Germans. And it's this whole mythology created. And it was not left-wing nor right-wing. It had members that had been communists, members that had been fascists. But essentially it was a one-issue party. And over the years, as they kind of moderated away from this idea of independence, as they began to take a little bit more active role in the right-wing coalitions, because they did eventually join in coalition with Berlusconi, they started to advocate for federalism in Italy, meaning that you would uh, dissolve the provinces, give the regions more autonomy, less centralized government from Rome, and this becomes their big issue. And so Renzi is forced to address this issue, and if it's going to happen, it's going to take a referendum. So in 2016, a referendum is scheduled for December that will ask the nation to decide whether or not to adopt a federalist um, reform that had been passed by the parliament. So now the parliament passes this, they accept it, now it's got to go to the people. And in the gear up for this referendum, Renzi essentially stakes his premiership on this thing passing. Not unlike David Cameron did in Britain, Renzi comes out, a lot of people question why he would do it, but he says... If this doesn't pass, I will resign. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your political opinion, this becomes a referendum on Renzi. And if you recall, in 2016, we were there right when this unfolded. You want the story? <laughs> I've been cued to tell a story. We were on a ferry, you, my brother, and I, going from Puerto to Naples, um, yeah. while the yeah. famous... Um, Results are coming in. Results are coming in, and we're on a ferry. The first time I've done a ferry, an overnight ferry in Italy. My brother and John and I are in, I guess you'd say, like the TV. It was huge. Like a common area. Yeah. A common area with this big, huge TV. It's packed with people, nail-biting, watching the results. And then, I guess I fell asleep. Four hours <laughs> later, I wake up, and there's no one there. Not John, nor my brother. <laughs> They left. You abandoned me. Yeah, we they did. abandoned me. Uh, I felt bad about that. My brother's a wonderful human being. <laughs> abandoned me, sleeping in a. I could have been thrown. I mean, you could have been, been robbed, thrown robbed, overboard, thrown out, murdered, eaten. To be fair, we tried sharks. to get you up. You were not getting up. You were like, right, well, you, you tried. I'm sure you tried really hard because I woke up four hours. I didn't even know where I was. You woke up in Naples. I woke up in Naples, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we went to sleep." So. They're like throwing, they were throwing us them. off the boat, too. And they're like, I'm like, I was asleep. And they're like, yeah. And they left me, and I woke up to an empty room because these guys are swell. And you woke up to a result that I don't think a lot of people predicted because they thought so it, it could be close. Go ahead. We made it through that trip. Yeah, you made it through the trip, and I almost got thrown overboard. But let's say digress. I'm sorry. But the referendum came out, no, 59 to 41. And so Renzi, I think, was completely stunned because... I can share this now. I remember being at a, at a dinner at the 
Italian ambassador's residence, and, and there were some members of Renzi's political team there, and uh, I remember them talking over the dinner about how confident they were in the election, in the referendum results. And, of course, uh, it was one of the first shocks, I guess, to uh, European and American politics that, that have seen a series of shocks lately, and uh, Renzi's government resigned. So the PD put forth other candidates to constitute sort of a caretaker government, and uh, Paolo Gentiloni was the prime minister for a little while. Uh, but eventually, in March of 2018, the scheduled election happens. And so you've had the, the, the rising star of the left and a system that a lot of people felt confident in has fallen. And in the intermittent time, you see the rise of the fringe and the Lega Nord, which has rechristened itself the Lega, and moved away from the policies of regional separatism or federalism and more towards anti-immigration, anti-EU platform, uh, you see the five-star party start to gain significant traction, the five-star movement, I should say, and they're sort of anti-EU, very, very hard to pin down political platform. And in March of 2018, you have an election in which the two quote-unquote populist alternative parties come in first and second. Uh, the five-star movement wins 30-some-odd percent, 20-some-odd percent for the Lega, and Berlusconi's rechristened Forza Italia, the PD, and the extreme right, which is now rechristened Fratelli d'Italia, split the rest. So nobody can form a government. Five-star has the most votes and the most deputies, but it's going to have to go into coalition with somebody to make a government. So to the shock of many, but it says the Italian system, Two months later, in May of 2018, a government coalition is formed. I think most people probably assumed it would be Five Star and the PD, but sure enough, strange bedfellows, Five Star Movement, and the Lega join together to form a government. And I should add that essentially what happens is the Five Star Movement wins throughout the South, as we mentioned before. The Lega wins primarily in the North and Center. This is still some center representation for the PD. Um... But you see a real split in the country, and you see very disjointed platforms coming together because the anti-immigration, anti-euro, anti-EU of the Lega, the Five Star, led by a young Neapolitan named Luigi Di Maio, their platform is based around a minimum living wage for people, uh, tax reform, freeing up Italy from the austerity that it's been subject to for the past decade. And now these two parties with completely different platforms have to form a government. And they do, and in a compromise, because neither one has a clear majority to select the prime minister, they go to President Mattarella, and they propose an outsider candidate, a non-politician in Giuseppe Conti, to become the prime minister. And he does. And this government has lasted for 14 months. In the meantime, the real name that has been put in front of everybody is Matteo Salvini. As part of the negotiation, Salvini has himself named interior minister and deputy prime minister, and he uses that post as interior minister to start enacting his reform to the immigration system. As everybody probably knows, because Italy is a coastal nation, very, very close to North That's Africa. A, this is the defining issue. This, is the, this is the whole issue. This yeah. is the whole issue. Yeah. Italy is taking the majority of the uh, migrants entering into Europe. It's difficult to distribute them throughout the country, and he runs essentially, on this idea that they're going to shut down the borders. No more immigration. And it's a very complicated issue. 
Oh, incredibly complicated. It's an extremely incredibly complicated, complicated issue. But he runs on it, and he governs to it. He does shut down, essentially. I mean, the numbers have dropped to really almost nothing. He's turning votes away. I mean, it's very, very stark, the situation around these migrants right now in Italy. I mean, boats being left out in the sea. The people are dying. And in the past 14 months, what has happened is somehow, probably because of his he's a, popular he's image. A, he's a, a... See, because I'm, I'm saying this, and I, I hope this makes the editing, is that... Um, I don't think we've taken the next step, the United States, Europe, to realize. Someone said we're in a post-governmental world. Someone said this 10 years ago that Italy thinks it's a post-governmental world. Uh, a post-governmental country. Italy went from having people like Andreotti, right, who were yeah. just uh, an old man in a, in a beautiful, well-tailored suit, a, a member of the Italian aristocracy, mm-hmm. right? Italians are known for being very... Um, Emotive, but the Italian aristocracy is not. They're yes, very true. different from the common Italian. Yeah, that's very right? true. They, they, I think they define themselves, we're not them, because they're very in control of their, their public emotions and feelings. But Salvini is a master of the television screen. Yes. And Italy, which has very low newspaper readership, always has. Italians get their news from TV. Yeah. It's always been the case. Yeah. Because they're one country that speaks one language. It's not like the U.S. where you have... I mean, uh, English is the lingua franca of the world, but you can have papers from Canada and Australia and the United States or countries that are uh, Anglophonic countries. So all Italian, all media in Italy is Italian media. Italians have not been good at reading other, of uh, speaking other languages. Yeah. They're notorious for that. So basically, the, the, the old networks were the highway of information in Italy. Yeah. Even to today, probably compared to other Western democracies, Television outweighs all the other media in, in influencing Italy, True. right? And Italy's kind of probably behind in all the if the old. I mean, I haven't seen statistics like yesterday, but social media came late to Italy. Yeah, and Salvini plays very well in Italian media. Like and, he, he and, knows, and he's done a great job of bridging that gap into social media. I mean, his Facebook following, sure, his but videos, and, and, and I think that you know. I hope, like I said, John edits me out, and I don't listen to these, so I have no idea what comes in and what doesn't. And when you write the letters, I don't see them either, for good or for bad. So if you hate me, I'll never know. So keep it in your heart. Um, I think we need to have really deep conversations about what's going on in the world, all over the world. You can't have it. You can't solve the world's problems as humanity as people if you can't have an open discussion. Right? If you go in as I'm right, you're wrong, and if you don't agree with me, I'm not going to listen or talk to you anymore. That's not my world. We need to have open minds and to think yeah. about things. The migration crisis is huge in Italy. The media tries to portray it as black and white, but there's big issues in Italy, yeah. right? I mean, if you take what's going on here, whether you fall as a Democrat or a Republican, and, and what's going on with the whole U- the United States and the border of the whole nine yards, where, wherever you fall in that political discussion, the American economy is in a million times better shape than the Italian yeah. economy is. Yeah. Italy has been a basket case for the last... 10 years? Yeah. 10, yeah. you know, as uh, we go so, back yeah. to the whole conversation, the transition to the euro, they, they have debt, which could really pop and bring a lot of things down besides Italy, yeah, including exactly. the euro and, and everyone else. And Italians are in a country which is very different than the one they grew up with in an economic sense. You know, the 80s were great years for Italy, the sure. boom that came out after the war. Yeah. So you take it from, like, say, the end of the World War II up until the euro, Italy was flying high. Yeah. 
And now Italian kids are kind of, it's like growing up in the Rust Belt. And nobody loves the Rust Belt more than I do. You know, those yeah, towns no, are the Rust Belt. But Italians growing up, Italian kids in South Africa growing up, that if you can't get a job that you can handle locally, like a cop or a nurse or a school teacher, you're going to have to pack up and get out because there are no jobs. And, and, and tourism, what bothers me is Italy's turning into Disney World. And there's so much more than Disney World. Yeah. Yes, Italy could live on tourism. Italy shouldn't have to live on tourism. Yeah. And Italian manufacturing is being destroyed because they can't compete globally for a lot of reasons. And Italians on the left and the right, they see... Um, now, you have two schools. Some people say that they're migrants for political reasons. Some people say that they're economic. They're, they're really illegal immigrants, mm -hmm. right? But wherever you fall in that, or if you don't know, wherever you fall in that discussion, the point of the matter is people who are not Italians are coming into Italy. And Italy is a homogenous country. Yeah. So in a country where the quote-unquote, I, I like the word local language, but dialect <laughs> to make it easier, where two towns over is considered foreigners right. because they use pepper in a dish that we don't use pepper right. in, and uh, they use a different word for something. They're foreigners. Italy's welcoming, but it, it, the sense of us and place is very strong. And you have towns in the south of Italy, especially all throughout Italy. No one's having kids. People who are having kids are having one child. Yeah. Young people moving out of the country because they can't get the jobs to, to have a family. And so you have old people who are, say, racially Italian. And you have new people coming in, either if you want to call them illegal aliens who are there for economic benefits or migrants who are there because of wars, whatever position you fall in. You cannot deny the fact that they're coming. And Italy doesn't know how to process that. Italy doesn't understand if they're still, if Italy's going to be the uh, culture is going to change. Yeah. Right. There's anger in Italy that, um, I think universally, that we can't keep our kids here, that we have an economy that's such a basket case. Some, some, oh, some stuff is Italy's fault, some is not Italy's fault. Some were made by political uh, people in Italy a long time ago that you can't really fix now. Yeah. And Italians are sitting there saying, it's too much, it's too much. And, and Italy was getting hit and hit and hit by people coming in, and there's a lot of uh, people in Italy. Yeah. And... To go back to, to, to Rudy Giuliani, a quote that he made when we had the whole disaster of, of 9-11, and he's like, you know, there's people here cheering for me who never voted for me yeah. around the West Side Highway, or people who vote for me who could never, um, because of their social standing in New York, you know, they could never say amongst their friends they voted for me, but they go into the, the ballot box, they close the curtain, they vote for me. When this election comes, if, if Lega, if it actually is deciding the ballot box, how many people in Italy are going to go and vote for Lega? Yeah, well, he, who would never, who would, who would, would die before they would tell people because they're like, okay, the immigration has stopped. That's a huge issue. Yeah, well, I mean, think about where Lega has come from. Lega wins about twenty. I want to. I'm trying to remember. Twenty-two, twenty-three percent of the parliament in the election in 2018, right? March 2018. In the time between then and now. It's been 14 months since May 2018 when the government was formed. Now it's fallen. In that time, they were able to win three regional governorships that no one would have predicted they would win. Sardinia, Abruzzo, and Basilicata. You're talking about the south of the south. Because nowadays, statistically, because Sardinia is poor, frankly, it's qualified as the south, even though it's not historically part of the southern kingdom. Uh, that is a social, political cultural upheaval that I don't think anyone would have predicted. You're talking about the Lega Nord. They took the word Nord out, but it's the Lega. But it has, it has refounded itself 
no matter what its roots are, no matter how many of its membership up north still probably would love to see a separate country called Padania, it is now essentially a right-wing nationalist party. I ha- but I, I put the brakes on the term right-wing nationalist because I think it, it, we have media now that makes very simplistic... I hate that terminology. I hate sure. the terminology popular. It's like, okay, we're going to get a, a, a paint and we're going to color this, right? And... That's that's why I think some people don't feel that they're as informed as they could or should be because their sources of information have um, overly simplified things to play for whatever their channels direction their audience, yeah. their audience. Lega made a career basically out of uh, denigrating the south of Italy. Sure, right? You know, right? did right I ever tell you about my interaction with Lega? No, go ahead. First started at Naya. You know, Lega's color is green, the green burdened hills of the north. Padania. Padania, the green flag and everything. And uh, I had just got to Nyaf, and it was probably the first time I went down to Capitol Hill. So it was like February or March of 2012. And Lega was still a, essentially a fringe party at that point. Yeah, percent yeah, fringe party. And I go down to Capitol Hill with one of the meeting rooms, and it's the Italian-American... Congressional delegation, which is a you know bipartisan group of Italian Americans within both houses of Congress who work together, a in just like the spirit of fraternity, and b uh, if there are issues that affect the Italian American community or Italy U.S. relations. And so I'm there with the co-chairs and some members from the delegation, and we're there to meet a group of Italian parliamentarians, and there's representatives from the Lega. At that point, I think it was still Lega Nord. So I spot them immediately. They got their green ties on. They wear these, you know, very bright green ties. And we sit across the table, and it's myself and some of the members of Congress and some of my team from uh, NIAF. And uh, one of the gentlemen that I worked with that did our U.S.-Italy relations is from Calabria and, and knew all about my uh, feelings about the South and the North. And we sit down to this meeting, and the members of Congress are in, we're speaking in English, and they're giving a whole sort of welcome and this and that, and, you know, table's not that wide. And one of the Lega guys leans over the other one in audible Italian, which he assumed none of us understood. And, of course, Carlo next to me is born in Calabria, and I understood the Italian just fine. And he says, look at all these Tironi sitting across from us. They really think they're Italian, don't they? And I will never forget the feeling in my... I felt so angry and so disappointed because I was this 28-year-old kid living my dream job in the first months. And that, this is my first interaction with the Italian government. And I left that meeting like fuming and I just said to myself, you know, I, I can't be political in this job. I can never say what I feel in this job because we're, you know, uh, organization that works with both parties here and in Italy. But I made a promise myself that no matter what happened, I would never work with the Lega. And sure enough, a few years later, as I was on my way out and I built a little bit of a profile uh, in Italy, I got a call from Salvini's office. And I wouldn't take it. I just wouldn't wouldn't answer the call, as he had taken over party leadership at that point. But, you know, a lot of people have swallowed that pill, and I'm not living in Italy, so I, I can't be empathetic for what the Italians are experiencing. But, you know, a lot of people in the South are coming around to this idea that Lega is no longer a regionalist northern party. And for me, it's hard to... That's the whole story, though. Because what I'm trying to say is that 
The fact that Basilicata, which is the poorest region currently in Italy, mm -hmm. uh, probably with Calabria, um, Campania, and, so uh, no, 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 not in, in no. the sense of poverty, but they're like really poster child for the south of Italy. Stunningly beautiful. I love Basilicata, right? Yeah. Um, the fact that people in Basilicata who who know that Lega hatred—that's yeah. the correct word—historical hatred that was held by Lega's leadership toward them. The fact that they're going to vote for them shows how deep Italy's crises are. Yeah. Italians have long memories. Yes. Especially when it comes to an insult. Especially in the South. And the fact that people in Basilicata feel that this guy is fixing our problems. Everyone should stop and pause and try to digest the new political reality yes. of the whole world. Yeah. It's, it's, it's serious. It's, it's a serious, very, very it's serious. a serious. It's a sea change. It's a sea change because, I mean, he, he called Southerners monkeys and, oh, and horrible. I'll tell you a story I had. In the 90s, I was in Liguria, right? And John knows, I mean, you, if, if you don't know me by now, when I speak Italian-Italian, like raya Italian, I won't say standard Italian because it's <laughs> insulting because the standard Italian individual should be, should be Neapolitan. That's another story for another day. I have a very heavy companion Neapolitan act, and I don't pick it up sometimes. It's heavy. It's there. And one guy said to me, he's like, oh, you're Italian, you have a Campania accent. And um, when, I, when, he, when the conversation first started, and he, and he saw me as an American, he was talking about how much he loved bluegrass music. And he was a musician, and he went to, I guess, Kentucky. I'm sorry, I don't know that much about it, but bluegrass. Yeah. And, and, and then I said something, we started talking in Italian, and he was like, well, here are the Campania accent. The whole conversation changed. Yeah. And he basically said to me, you come from monkeys. You come. It was horrific, um, and he tore this. I mean, it was a complete change of conversation. That is my defining moment. You know, if you pick up my pro-Southern feeling here, that was the day it started. I never thought of. You know, if you take Italian Americans, we were much more united than Italy ever was. Oh, completely. And there were no Northern Italians really on the map. I mean, they were in New Jersey. Yeah. I, I found. I discovered them later in life. Yeah, but a lot of yeah, California. Sure. But in our experience... I never felt... I, and I was like... Number one, I'm an American, right? And I'm only half genetically Italian, right? I'm an American. Because in Italy, we're treated like Americans. Yeah. Because we're, 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 we're Americans. And this guy just went through the roof, like, it was tearing this. And I was like, number one, why... I just came here to buy something. Like, I really don't need that much of a conversation. <laughs> and you could see this vitriolic hatred. But, you know, Italy had all... You know, the U.S. is the civil rights movement, but how many... People in the north of Italy had signs, you know, Southerners need not apply oh, yeah. for apartments and stuff in the 60s. And I was like, whoa, this is, like, real. I mean, then people... That's is a real... You forget, too, like, when the economic boom happens in Italy, it does happen in the north for various reasons. And an internal migration of Southerners who move up north is substantial. I mean, sure. it's a population huh. shift. And it's a lot of those people whose parents moved up to the north from the south who are at the heart of the Lega movement. Right, and, 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 and uh, I was in, I'll, I'll say the Valle di Diana, to protect the anonymity of the <laughs> parties involved, though I don't think it's really necessary on here. <laughs> we, do you remember that there. cafe we walked into? Maybe we were there on one of our Valle di Diano excursions. We walked into a cafe, and um, there was a woman there, who grew, who's, now the Valle di Diano's in Salerno, it's the heart of the south of Italy, John's family's from there, um, she was in the cafe, and we started chatting with her in Italian, and we found out that her parents were from the Valle di Diano. 
And she had grown up in the north of Italy. And for economic reasons, she went to go work in the Valdigiano, I guess to a family connection because of her, the situation of Italy's economy. I never heard anti-Southern vitriol like I heard out of her mouth. Yeah. Like if she could have taken a shower and washed the South and <laughs> out of right, her hair, yeah. she would have. Yeah. And how many times do you deal with people in the north of Italy and I'll say to them, well, you're from Torino, but where are your parents from? I right? ask everything. Are your grandparents? But I, we don't want to go into the same northern, southern. You know, but, uh, but what we're trying to say is that for these people in the South to vote Lega, it really is indicative of how how serious, how intense the current political situation is. Because the political situation in Italy is really a reflection of the economic social situation. Yes. Stagnation. So, so the, the disease is in the politics. The, the disease is the, the political economic crisis Italy's in, or the social economic crisis Italy's in, and the current political situation is a symptom yes. of the disease. Yes, completely. And the fact that people um, in the South, now you could say it's a new leg, like I said, I like, I, I like independent, open-minded, intellectual yeah, discussion. Sure. And you know, and I have, we, a lot of people, we know Southern Italians, people born and raised in the South of Italy, speak broken English, are the biggest legacy supporters ever because Love they're them. like, you know what, they're keeping the migrants out and, yeah. you know, and Salvini's like, we're going to clean up the economy and we're going to change it, you know, it's, it's, and Italy responds to that, right? That's how Tucci got a job. Yeah, Italy <laughs> right. responds right. Yeah. to that, you know, but you can't deny wherever your political, your political sympathies lie, that the fact that Basilicata went to the polls and voted for the people, I mean, it's like African Americans voting for, uh, George Wallace. Exactly. The, no. uh, Basilicata had not voted, had not left the, the left of Fiji and its predecessors in like... But no, this ain't a leftism. You, you also, for the listeners out there, the Christian Democrats, which would have been the, the precursors of... of um, Berlusconi. Berlusconi, right? Which was the conservative. So if you could mm-hmm. take it like, the, the Christian Democrats were what we call Republicans in the United mm-hmm. States. They were kind of the church-affiliated party, right? Um... They had a very strong position in the South, especially because the position of the church had a lot more social influence. Yeah, in the I'm South. saying the past twenty something years, Basilicata's had leadership. Sure, but I'm saying like, I don't want. I don't. Yeah, I, no, I think I, it's different than yeah. Americans who think like, okay, yeah, yeah. like I. No. The, the the South had a had a strong sure. had also had a, a representation so. yeah. from the Christian Democrats. Oh yeah, but those old party affiliations are gone. 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 You know, and I think that um, I don't think people are going to vote for Lega and saying, "Wow, I I love Lega." Yeah. In the South, as much as people are saying, okay, they, they're doing what I want done. Which is interesting, too, because Lega's not even running in the South. They're, I mean, they, they did for the regional presidencies, Lega. But in the general elections, they're running like a second list, like Noi con Salvini, us with Salvini. They, they won't even run the Lega because its platform is anti-Southern or has been traditionally. So they run this like alternative party that's basically like a Lega in a mask. And they've tried to start the Lega Sud and all these different things. See, but what, what my, my, my question is... If the right wing coalition loses in Italy, or the I would call it the Lega coalition, coalition. falls, and five star well, it has now right it has yeah. I'm sorry and five star allies itself with PD, or there's elections and PD comes back or whatever, yeah. how are they going to handle the whole migrant well, well, here, here's, crisis? Here's, because here's where we are. Today. That's the one. That's yeah. the defining issue right now. Here's where we are today. So Salvini has been super aggressive about this issue in his time as Interior Minister. He's basically acted as the Prime Minister of the country. I mean, to, to his credit, Conti's been a, a moderate and very engaged Prime Minister, but he's a caretaker Prime Minister essentially. He's a compromise candidate, and 
Salvini has aggressively gone after this issue. It's really numerically started to peter out. I mean, they're not seeing anything like the numbers they were seeing. And I guess essentially it's what leads us to today, because keep in mind, the economic policy of this coalition government couldn't be further apart. The Lega has been advocating for a flat tax. The Cinque Stelle has been advocating for a minimum living wage and a much more aggressive that's, government spending that policy. Such, but that's so, so indicative because yeah. Five Star and Lega have such different economic policies, yeah. but they've both played ball on the migrant situation. Yeah, and, and that's what's and kept them in power. And it, wasn't, and it wasn't part of the Five Star platform coming in. Obviously, it was a concession. Uh, they were both very anti-EU, and that also leads ah, to yeah, that. All, that also leads the to the eight hundred pound elephant in the room. Yeah. And don't forget what also happened in the intermittent period a couple months ago when the European parliamentary elections came up. It was Salvini who won the majority in Italy. The Lega and its coalition became the majority of the Italian representation to the European Parliament. That is another absolute earthquake in the Italian political mentality because Italy had been safely in the uh, popular uh, center-right for decades in the European Parliament. And Salvini said out loud he was going to lead a battle to basically evolve the European Parliament from within and uh, joined an alliance with uh, what they would call right-wing populist parties throughout Europe. And uh, he won the majority of the Italian contingent there. So when you come to polling... The Lega continues to poll higher and higher every day. Uh, the Five Star Movement has lost not only a ground in terms of polling and popular conception, but let's not forget the Five Star Movement is the majority partner by number in this coalition. So it leads us to where we are today. There was always talk about how difficult it was for these two parties to work together. Um, the Prime Minister and the President of the Republic working very hard behind the scenes to sort of keep things together. Italy's economy has not really improved. There was a budget crisis because the government uh, decided at first they were going to put forth a budget that was not within the EU uh, restrictions in terms of austerity. They then conceded and, and changed their projections. But a lot of people would say Salvini, who, if you notice, we're saying his name the most because he is the main character in this drama. Salvini had to make a choice. Do you force the collapse of the government by pulling out of the coalition or threatening a coalition in order to force snap elections in the hopes that you can ride what seems to be right now a wave but maybe a cresting wave in terms of your poll numbers? Or do you stick around until the upcoming elections in a few years from now and hope that your time in the government uh, builds the case for your outright election? And I think a lot of people are under the impression that he concluded that there wasn't going to be enough to run on in terms of accomplishments come next election, and it was sort of now or never. So, I think it's exactly. I think everything is on exactly to what he planned. Well, here's here's the issue. I right? think it's totally. He calls for vote of no confidence uh, a few days ago, August nineteenth, August twentieth. Conti resigns, reads a scathing speech against him in the chamber of deputies, and now. Italy is in that classic scenario that Italy finds itself in far too often where there's this sort of scramble politically to see what can be done. So there's no no new elections have been announced. It, it, it falls to the president of the republic to do that. And essentially the parties are meeting with the president and meeting amongst themselves to see if a coalition can be formed. 
it looks like, as of today, the PD, the, the Democratic Left Party, and the Five Star have begun conversations about forming a new government. And the issue, interesting enough, because the PD does not have the numbers, but because they have a large enough chunk, they're sort of the wild card in this, they are the ones setting the demands of the Five Star Movement. And their demands are that the Five Star Movement has to be avowedly pro-EU if they're going to come into coalition together, amongst other demands. So where we sit right now, you could essentially see the party that got, I guess, the third most votes in the PD dictating the platform of a coalition that will run Italy for the next few years, in which the majority partner really has not set the tone for the platform. This is a big issue. And I think Salvini is sort of looking down the down the road, and I would imagine asking himself, can I win an outright majority if an election happens in the next couple months? You know, it'd be in the, in the fall, I guess October. So we're still kind of waiting to see what's next for this system. Will there be an election? Will a coalition be formed? Salvini has said he'd be happy to go back into coalition with the Five Star Movement and just form a new government. So that, that grand Italian confusion. I, I think he has, I think Salvini has planned every step. I think everything that has gone on so far, I think is exactly what he planned to do. I think he planned to take Five Star to get him in, into power. Because he's only with the interior minister. Then I mean, if, if you, he, 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 you know, he, he's, he's acting like prime minister. Sure. I mean, he's, he's acted as if he were the actual... I mean, if he's not the de jure prime minister, he actually is the... Fa- I mean, he, yeah. he obviously is the facto. Yeah. So I think that he planned all this out. I think if he didn't, somebody did. I think that he feels he can come into... The, even if he goes back with Five Star, I, I can't see them going back into power with him. I mean... Um, it, but, you know, it's Italy. Yeah, it looks so. at, you get, it, De Maio, we've mentioned five times, right? De Maio was a very young, energetic, popular... Now, the Five Star Movement, which we haven't really talked about, Beppe Grillo stepped away. He, he's not really associated with it anymore. It's sort of evolved finally from... Because at, at first, when the Five Star Movement won, uh, any seats they won in their first elections, they said they would not govern. They would not take the seats those first years. Then they took the seats, but they wouldn't form coalitions. And now here they are, really, essentially, shorn I mean, the one thing that Lega has, on, has over Five Stars, Lega has all... I mean, like someone in Italy said to me, some days they're Catholics, and sometimes days they're Viking pagans. Oh, I mean, so, yeah. Have you seen him with, kissing with the, the rosary? Right. He's like, but you know, but their the overall, their overall commonality was an independent northern Italy. So they kind of their roots. I mean, they 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 may have changed the spots a little bit just to get them where they were, but who they are as a nationalist Italian, they have an identity, right? Uh, I don't think anybody knows knows what five star, but. Because it's, it's like polling. It was, like, it was like created a, to, a to have its platform. System. Its platform was to be dictated by a an online poll of the members. Yeah, sure. So I so think, it's yeah. I think that you know Salvini knows that if he goes to the polls, he's probably going to do much better than he did the first time around. And if Five Star doesn't want, I mean, I don't think he wants to make an, uh, a coalition with Five Star. But I think if um, Forza Italia or if the right doesn't come in with him, I think he just stands. I mean, if if he goes to elections, and I think he would do, they will they'll do well as Basilicata as a barometer in Sardinia. If he loses the next day, he still he still has his his page in the history book. 
Yeah. Because they really did come out of nowhere. I mean, it's you know. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the. But then again, they were formed in an Italy that that ceased to exist. That that's all. That's by far memory. Gone. The fact that they were so marginalized was because it was a very different Italy. And now in this new Italy, um, it says a lot that people are turning to them. I mean, pe- re- people who wouldn't have been caught dead supporting them 20 years ago are now supporting them. And that should just give you an idea of the situation, what's going on. I mean, you, you look at the, their polling numbers, right? They're probably polling like 38, 30-something percent right now. You could end up with an election that happens where basically they switch spots with the five star, they become the largest, uh, the, the tallest midget out of the party system. Polling for the Forza Italia on the right and the PD on the left is continually going down. Now, another condition that the PD set today, if they were going to come into a coalition with five star, was the complete revocation of all of the immigration policies that Salvini set up. So, if five star and the PD join together in a coalition and the president approves it, their first decision is to completely wipe away everything he did around immigration. And what does Five Star stand for? That's the question, right? Well, and I, I think I, I honestly think Five Star is gonna taking the, this move. They're gonna they're gonna be. I don't think this bodes butchered. well for them in the future. I think this this idea that they're a party of resistance and and, and based on popular will of their membership and blah 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 blah. Uh, I think it's played out to be honest. I mean, I'm, there are stands that I agree with that they have and. Clearly, the South voted with them, but it's too inconclusive of a platform. I mean, they won the most seats of anybody, and they've done almost nothing in terms of dictating the agenda. And and if they go into coalition PD, it'll be more of the same, just on the different side. So what are they? They just like uh, I, I I honestly think they're toast. Their base was the South. I think the South is going to walk. It's going to be really interesting. To I see. think there's going to be a back. I don't know. I, I like I said. I don't. I don't purport to have any kind of expertise on this? I mean, nobody can have the predictive expertise in the Italian system. It's just, it's too, there's just too many moving parts. Uh, you'd have to have uh, ESP to understand what's going on here. I mean, it's, it's really, really unprecedented. But if there's any precedent for it, it's in Italy. So I hope we've done something to at least in some sense clarify what's going on. In summation, the Italian government's fallen. And we don't know what's coming next. And it could don't be a, <laughs> it could be a snap election, could be more of the same, could be a new coalition. It'd be amazing to think that we could come but a few weeks. But you're still going to eat well in Italy. You're still going to eat well. The, the, the yep. beauty of Italy is no matter who's on the throne, lunch is still lunch as, for now. As as we say in the South, right? France or Spagna. Basta casa mangia. France or Spain, as long as we still eat. That was an old. That was an old Neapolitan saying. I guess. I guess. What would that have been from? The time what, of Sicilian, what, Sicilian what, Vespers. Does that come from the Sicilian Vespers? I mean, I imagine it would. That's when the choice between France and Spain. Right. So the Neapolitan saying was, "France or Spain? Who cares? As long as we." Eat. <laughs> that's more. That's Italy. Basta Casemani. That would be a great political party. <laughs> that's so true. We should do that. As long as we eat. Basta Casemani. That's the macaroni. Well, that part. really is Italy's un- overwhelming. That's great. Conugliate de macaroni. Nice plate of macaroni. Basta casemani. I think this is on the way to Well, that was an Italian season, so we could run, we could run my wife. I'll run my wife. She'll kill me. You know, my wife told me to stop talking about her on the show. She, not that she's ever listened. I told her, I mentioned her. She's like, you can't talk about me on the show. I'm like, are you going to listen to this? You should you? drop no. like... Um, I don't ice. think people believe she's there. You should do stuff like... Um, the ice cream's melting on the ice <laughs> See if she's, she's see not if listening. Goes, believe you're me. not listening. I feel like the more I talk about my wife, people are going to think she's is like... Is someone going to tip her off? 
I told her she doesn't talk that bad. Who's the that listens? I don't know. I mean, I'm telling her myself. It's not like she don't no know. No one I relate to listens or cares. I think that's better off. I'm better off. But I'll tell you what, though. I th- I'm starting to think people are going to think. Remember, like, uh, Frazier, the wife, uh, the, brother, no, the brother's exists. wife, Maris? Nicole yeah. exists. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know Nicole. Nicole exists. I love Nicole. She's out there. Nicole, yeah. Nicole exists. Well, she's going to have a vote she, in this she, whole thing. I wouldn't. If she tells you not to talk, I wouldn't talk. Yeah, no, she's tough. Put that up with Zazie. She's tough. So, I hope this is a little bit more clear. Why would we bring Nicole on? She wouldn't do it. Remember, we tried to bring her on when we talked about Sangwe Not. She revolted. She she's tough. She's tough. She's got Badosa. She doesn't change. We'll have a fashion. That's why I love her. Yeah, we'll do fashion. She'll talk about that. She'd like that. That'd be good. You know what? If we got some like fashion designer to come on, she should be here interviewing her tomorrow. That that I guarantee you. <sighs> eh, what are you going to do? We got an idea. Yeah. I gotta go. All right. <laughs> Let's go. Eat. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. I hope it's a little bit more clear. And if you don't, we really don't care. Yeah. <laughs> That's not fair. And I if you write, no, it's not true, because if you write a letter, I'll, don't let them give it to me. That's really they, they tell me like months later, you know, someone wrote, and I'm like, I didn't know that. And they're like, oh, no, you don't get the letters. No. So I'm I'm kind of, I'm kind of locked away. Yeah. I'm like Igor locked away. <laughs> yes, in, uh, you are, yeah. In the attic. Like, don't you're let the, Igor read yeah. the letters. You're the, you're the hunchback of, I'm uh, the hunchback of the podcast. Of, of, uh, they take me out. Carver. What happens, they come back once a week and they knock on the attic <laughs> and true. I climb down. At least I came Igor to Jersey for you. And I think by next week we'll have the studio done. Won't be done in Jersey. Jersey would be much better. No, but, no. no, but let them let them know the truth. And if you write nice things, I don't hear that either. I'll tell you the nice things. And thing. they tell me stuff way they're like, well, somebody wrote something. Can I read it? No. <laughs> and because of 22 years of Catholic school, I just obey. I'm like, okay, I'm not allowed to well, read it. Once, so once so. Some, well, didn't they tell you once somebody said you were aggressive or something, you went crazy? They did. Whoever, <laughs> I'm sure you don't listen. To it. Maybe you do listen. Someone wrote that, that I had an aggressive conversation with Sauce and Gravy about uh, Rosella. Me and Rosella are like tight as two people yeah. friends could be. That's true. I just hate that. Co- I'm sick of that conversation. I am too. I can't stand, the, you know. And the, I want to have the they ma- call me the- number one. If, if you, whoever called me aggressive does not live in New Jersey. That's true. That's probably somebody from I don't That's know true. where the nice people in Nebraska. Yeah, somewhere. Probably calm. is an Italian from That's like true. Omaha. <laughs> yes. He's aggressive, right? In New Jersey, I'm considered. You're, you're calm, yeah. I'm calm. Yeah, you Take are. Take a ride on seven. I always think of you as calm, actually. It's, I mean, I think I'm. I think I'm very calm. You think I'm calm? Yeah, in my world, I think yeah. Whoa. But maybe I'm just spending too much time with you. That, that could be the case. No, because too. people have to understand me. If you understand me, I'm much calmer than that's true. I come off. Yeah, that's true. I'm crazy. There's a stability. But what There's happens is, what's going to happen is he's going to turn off and then he's going to bring back up to the attic. Go upstairs. And you can work. <laughs> We're going to lock Here's you your away. You'll be week. away till next week. I, I know you don't want to. I should get a, a bell, like like Quasimodo. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the opening chime for the show. You wouldn't. It's like better than going to. You know, that's got to be a great workout, that bell. Yeah. I, <laughs> I gotta go. All right, let's go. Fun. We're going home. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week, and maybe we'll have some answers as to what's going on with the Italian Send me government. Send a secret letter. I'm gonna have a secret email. Yeah, Contact secret me. email, so you can complain that you're born an Italian. If you want your life to be great, see that you're born an Italian. and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italian.